remain standing. Let us pray together. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your holy word. We pray that you would speak to us afresh at this time. Give us ears to hear, minds to understand, and the will to respond to your call. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Please be seated. It's a great joy to be with you here at uh, Christ Church Grove Farm. Always a pleasure being in your midst. And uh, it's a great honour to be asked by John Guest to come and preach in his absence while he's out in Israel at this time. It's a great joy to me to seeing the friendship strengthening between this church and uh, Trinity School for Ministry where I teach. And uh, there's some great programmes over the summer in June term. You might be interested in, so we brought some information along for you that's available in the vestibule later on. Before I met my wife, I had to do all my own shopping, and I was not very good at it. The clothes shopping was always the hardest of all, but I remember over the years I was beginning to think perhaps I'm getting the hang of it. I noticed one day that I was really down to two pairs of pants for everyday use. And perhaps it's time to buy a pair of pants. So one Saturday I set off to a local store and I went in there and I found a pair of pants, nice brown pair. I thought they'll do nicely. I even vaguely remember standing there at the uh, checkout uh, desk thinking, you know, maybe I am getting the hang of this shopping thing. I knew I needed to buy a pair of pants. I've spent some time on a Saturday going to a store where they sell them and I've found a pair that I think will do nicely. It was only when I got home and I was putting those pants away, I realised how utterly hopeless I was at the shopping. When I was putting them away, I noticed I already had a nice pair of brown pants. One of the two pairs I already had was almost identical to the pair I had just bought. So I was now the proud owner of three pairs of everyday pants, two of which were identical. I took some small comfort in the fact that I clearly liked that pair of brown pants, But I have to say, it became very clear to me, I was clearly extremely bad at shopping. I needed more help than I realised. In our Bible passage today that we've just heard read from Luke's Gospel, we come across two different kinds of people. There was one man, Levi, also known as Matthew, who was clearly a man who had come to know he needed help. But there's another group of people, in fact, the Pharisees, who didn't realise how much help they needed. And it's really through this encounter, this face-to-face encounter that Jesus has with this unlikely follower, Matthew, here known as Levi, probably a nickname I expect, it's through that encounter that these Pharisees realise, or at least are told, they need more help than they realise. So I want to start off by looking at this first encounter that Jesus has with this unlikely follower, Matthew, that you can read about in the notes that you have. Luke 5, beginning at verse 27. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. And Levi got up, left everything and followed him. It's a remarkable moment, but all the more remarkable when he realised what kind of man he probably was. In those days, the Roman authorities that had... uh, that jurisdiction over the land of Israel, collected their taxes through their own tax collectors. And if you wanted to be a tax collector, all you had to do is go to the relevant authority and make the biggest offer. 
you had to outbid the others who also wanted to collect the tax. Because people didn't know quite how much they owed. And so you had a chance to collect the tax that you had to then pay to the Roman authorities, collect your fee, and ask for as much else as you thought you could get away with. And so, of course, the tax collectors became famous as extortioners. People knew what they were getting up to. Their problem was they didn't know what they actually owed. And they were very much at the mercy of these tax collectors. And not only that, they were collecting money for the Roman authorities. These were the occupying authorities. No one in Israel wanted to be occupied by the Roman authorities, and the idea of having to pay for the pleasure went down very badly. So not only were tax collectors extortioners, they were also unpatriotic. And so badly were they seen in that society, they weren't allowed to go to synagogue. They were seen as beyond the pale. Now, Matthew was probably some sort of customs tax collector. There are various different customs taxes you had to pay to use the harbour or pay to use a market. But probably Matthew was one of these taxes that was collected alongside the road. Certain tax roads, like a toll on the, uh, on the freeway. And what he would do there, he'd have his own customs booth, and he could charge according to the number of animals that were being brought through, the number of wheels on the vehicles, different ways in which the tax structure could operate. But at the end of the day, his job was to get as much money as he could. <laughs> he paid the Romans what they needed, the rest of it was his. But you might would have thought, if Jesus comes along and sees this man, clearly a tax collector, standing right outside his tax booth, you might have thought Jesus would pass him by. I mean, firstly, he's an unlikely candidate to become a follower of Jesus. He's not a religious kind. He wasn't obviously a man on a spiritual journey. In fact, he was a man who, who did not want the Messiah to come. Because if the Messiah came, he might get rid of the Roman authorities and he'd be out of a job. And a very unpopular man he would then be. And you might also say, well, perhaps Jesus didn't want him on his team. (laughs) These guys had a terrible reputation. Why would Jesus want a tax collector as part of his band of disciples? There's all sorts of reasons to wonder why Jesus would stop and talk to him. And certainly in society, they'd be saying, well, clearly, better if Jesus just passes on by not a man you want to associate with. But Jesus saw him in a different light. He saw him as a man who had become a habitual sinner. He'd been overcome with his greed. And what he needed was to be set free. And Jesus saw himself as the doctor who'd come to heal. Here's a sick man, I've come to heal him and set him free. Put him back to good health again. That's what he'd come to do. Now, the first thing I want us to notice is, there's a lesson already here for us as a church. Are there people that we think are beyond the pale? People who wouldn't respond to an invitation to follow Jesus because of something about their present life. Reminded myself, as I was thinking about this as I was preparing this sermon this week, uh, when I was uh, growing up in Southampton, on the south coast of England, we used to do regular missions uh, into that uh, neighbourhood. We were right in the centre of Southampton, And we could go out into the shopping district uh, to share the gospel. So we'd have training in the morning, go out in the afternoon. I remember one morning we were doing some preparations and the uh, pastor had asked us to learn some verses, including Luke 11, sorry, Leviticus 11, 44. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. 
I remember complaining to the pastor, I said, whatever question comes up on the streets of Southampton this afternoon, surely no one is going to question whether God is holy. Anyway, I did what I was told and learnt the verse. Well, that afternoon I went out and I deliberately went for the unlikely followers. I found a group of punks and Mohicans. You don't see many of those around these days. And we had quite a few around in Southampton back at that time. I thought, wouldn't it be fun to go and talk to some of these guys? Well, guess what their very first question was? He says, the Bible never says that God is holy. (laughs) Oh, yes, it does. Leviticus 11 and verse 44. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. And we got into an amazing conversation about issues of predestination and the nature of the Christian faith. I would have easily walked past these people if I hadn't had a conviction to go to the unlikely candidates. Maybe there are unlikely candidates in your life. People you think are never going to come to put their faith in Jesus. But I encourage you to be praying for them. Seeking the Lord's guidance. How can we bring the good news of Jesus to these people too? But what is so striking about this is when Jesus calls him, follow me, (laughs) that's what he says, Levi immediately gets up, leaves everything and follows him. What an amazing moment. There are a few times when that happens in the Bible. People have to leave everything. There's other disciples who left their nets, their fishing business, to go follow Jesus. It's a radical call. Now, Jesus doesn't say that to all of us. We don't have to all give up all our worldly means of support. Although we do have to all recognise everything we've got is God's. We're to use it for his service. But it is particularly striking when you see that Jesus is calling someone to put aside all their worldly security. We saw it particularly clearly uh, back at Trinity School for Ministry just a few years ago. when one of my colleagues had a call to leave his teaching job there, doing a great job teaching New Testament and mission, to go and become the bishop for Anglicans in Gambala, Ethiopia, out there on the Horn of Africa. Imagine that, leaving a secure position in a seminary to go to one of the most dangerous places in the world for a Christian to be. Well, he and his wife, who was a medical doctor, both heard this as a call, they sold everything and off they went. In those last couple of months as they did that, they taught us more than he taught in all those previous 13 years. He heard the call and he went. He'll be back here actually in June, so I look forward to having a chance to catch up with him. But to see how the Lord has provided for his need and his wife's needs as they've gone forward. Having heard the call, God provided. It's an incredibly powerful thing to watch. But what we see here then is this Levi, Matthew, is a man who had realised, as he stood in the presence of Jesus, that what Jesus had was worth more than everything he had or would accumulate. Reminds me of one of those stories that Jesus told about the man who discovered a pearl in a field and decided that pearl was so precious he would sell everything he had to buy the field to get the pearl. Matthew recognised the value of this Jesus and what Jesus could do for him. Remember that other thing that Jesus said? What does it profit a man to gain the whole wide world and lose your soul? I think 
Matthew understood this. Now, again, we don't know how long or short this event was. We probably got the news in brief here. But what we do know is Matthew had the call of Jesus, follow me, and he followed. He left everything. Amazing. Now, what you might then have thought is, well, how's he going to be after that? Maybe the next day he was thinking, what was I doing? (laughs) I had a great job, security. What about the family? Now, the next thing we find out, coming to the second part of our passage, he's holding a party. Here we are. Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. Well, no doubt, as Matthew is beginning to realise the error of his ways, no doubt he was thinking about all those people he had defrauded, no doubt he was thinking about all those who had looked down on him all these years as an extortioner and a collaborator... All those years he'd been excluded from the synagogue, I bet he had regrets. I'm sure he felt guilty and shame for what he'd done. But the wonderful thing is, even more significant than all that, was the joy he felt at the freedom he had from his captivity to greed. Jesus has set him free. He got to that point, you see, where he wasn't working, if the money wasn't working for him, he was working for the money. The greed had taken him captive. And when Jesus stopped and said, come follow me, it's as if he couldn't believe it. Do you want me? Do you reckon you could transform me into a disciple? Oh yeah, please do. I've been serving this miserable master called Mammon and I hate it. I've been set free, thanks be to God. So he's a man full of joy, he throws a party. Not a pity party, a celebration party. Guess what's happened? I'm free. Now, the thing that's always intriguing, of course, look who he invites. It's all the other tax collectors. Frankly, no one else would come. No one else on the guest list. Just the, the other well, the tax collectors and sinners, whoever else they were. The other ones who weren't allowed at synagogue, presumably, or couldn't go to the temple. But he's so excited about what's happened. Yes, I'm sure he's got regrets and sadness. But praise God, he's found the the solution to his crisis. He was being set free from the sin of greed. Thanks be to God. Now the wonderful thing is, Jesus goes to the party with his disciples. Now in a minute we'll find out he got some trouble for that. But this is one of the great things that happens as we get to the New Testament. There's a real shift of gear from the Old into the New as Jesus is fulfilling the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, you are holy by separation. There are foods you do not eat. There are clothes you do not wear. There are people you don't associate with. Look back into the book of Leviticus and check that out. But what you find with Jesus and his transformation into the New Testament, now you've got someone who is holy... He has not got to maintain his holiness by separation. He is able to give his holiness by connection. So when Jesus goes to this party, he's not being corrupted by it. He's bringing the pure light of Jesus himself into it. Perhaps it comes up very clearly when you think about Jesus interacting with those people who suffered from leprosy, some skin diseases. In the Old Testament, you didn't touch a leper. You kept well clear of them because you didn't want to pick up the leprosy. And you didn't want to be made unclean by that contact. But Jesus, he touched the leper. 
What happened? Did he pick up leprosy? No. He healed the leper. That's what happens under the new regime of the New Testament. Holiness is now about being connected with Jesus. That's what Matthew or Levi was finding out here. And that's a message that Levi wanted to share with all his friends. It doesn't have to be like this. Even we can be made holy. That's the message. People like us, us sinners, we who've been caught up with this sin of greed, we've done all these things that we should be ashamed of. Guess what? Jesus has come for us. He can make us new. He can put us into his kingdom. Get us into the very presence of a holy God and give us life forever. Who would have thought? The joy of the Lord was upon him. It's a beautiful thing, joy. Wouldn't it be wonderful if the first thing people thought about when they thought about the Christian church was joy? (laughs) Hey, they're such happy people. They may think we're a bit strange. They do think we're a bit strange. But wouldn't it be nice if they also thought, yeah, but they're joyful. I was very encouraged. There was a person I used to try to witness to, frankly, not very effectively, when I was a curate at a church in London. And uh, he said to me one day, you know the thing I like about your church? It wasn't my church, but I did go to it. When people come out of church, they look so happy. They look so happy. They were reminded of the joy of the Lord and something about that was on their face as they left. That's a beautiful witness. I know it's an important part of the life of this church too, but the fact we need to be out there and connecting with people where the joy of the Lord can be made known. I need to say this, recognising there's dangers. There are probably places that you and I should not go, okay? And they may be different, depending on our own areas of temptation. But at the end of the day, there is something about us who have this faith in Jesus, who are united with him and therefore holy, because we are forgiven and we have the Holy Spirit and are part of the Holy Church, because that is all true, we can go to those places where the unholy people are, if you like, those who have not yet found forgiveness. And we can be a witness to them. Now again, you're going to know there are places you can't go. Well, don't go there. But go the places you can go. Where unbelievers hang out. Maybe it's your own hobbies or interests that give you the connection point. But to spend time with these people where you can be sought and light. And you can have the joy of seeing people find the joy of Jesus. We just spend all of our time with each other, lovely as that would be. We may not experience the full joy of others finding that joy too. That's another one of the lessons of this text, it seems to me, that we need to be out there, like Jesus was. Out there where the people are, so we can share our faith and the joy. And again, in an appropriate way, we've got to learn to pray for people, love these people, befriend these people. But as we do that, and as we continue praying for them, continuing walking with the Lord, continuing allowing the Spirit to do His work in us, the joy of the Lord will radiate out. And they're going to know what's different about you. It's a beautiful thing that Jesus is showing us here. Be in that place. It's also worth noticing that when, in a moment, Jesus starts getting challenged, the challenge doesn't come directly to him, it goes to his disciples. Why are you at the party here? So you may be questions will be asked. <laughs> you need to know the answer. Well, Jesus did it. <laughs> he wanted the good news of Jesus to get everywhere. So we go out in his name to bring his glory into every place. Lovely quote from Bishop J.C. Ryle, the first great bishop of Liverpool in England, great evangelical bishop. A converted man will not wish to go to heaven alone. 
That's part of what we see here. Levi, Matthew, looking at these friends, thinking, I want them to know this joy as well. And people in that moment, just so soon after their conversion, are in a wonderful place to share the joy of Jesus. People who know them will see the difference. Maybe their face has changed. Sometimes I even see a face change with the peace of Jesus. The worry lines begin to be less prominent. The anxiety is taken up into Jesus. And there's a sense in which people are at peace with Jesus. The joy of Jesus. The love of Jesus. So when people come to faith, there's a precious opportunity there to share that faith with their friends and family and colleagues while they can see clearly the transformation that Jesus has brought about. But then we end up by seeing in this passage how the religious leaders reacted. And they were not happy with what Jesus was doing. Verse 30. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So Jesus understands their worry. These Pharisees, they wanted to do the right thing. They wanted to be holy. They had laws to guard the laws, so that they could really try to do the things that God wanted. And they tried to keep away from those sinners who might in any way contaminate them. They were trying to do the right thing. They know that bad company corrupts good character. That's true. There's a real danger here. But they're taking that idea too far. And they were not celebrating the fact that we had just witnessed, they had just witnessed the conversion of an unclean man into a clean man. Someone who had, if you like, his back to God to now having his face to God. They should be celebrating. Isn't it wonderful what's happened to Levi? But no, they were concerned about the party afterwards. And I think, you know, there's something of the Pharisee in all of us. Certainly I know there is in me. But we can look around and think, you know, okay, I haven't got everything together, but I'm doing some things reasonably well. And I think in their own minds, if we're honest about it, there's a kind of a line. You think, well, okay, if I'm at this standard, I suspect that what God wants is just a bit below where I'm at. I'm doing all right. And what's going on in this passage is not only this wonderful transformation for Levi, it's also a wake-up call for these Pharisees. Guess what? You've got the wrong picture. <laughs> if you're there, the pass mark is not here, it's up here. Be holy, for I am holy, says the Lord. How are you doing with that one? (laughs) Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind and strength, and love your neighbour as yourself. How are you doing? You sure don't love this neighbour called Levi. He's just come alive to new spiritual hope. You don't even want to rejoice with him. What's going on in your heart? That's what Jesus is saying. So if here's the standard, and here are we, there's a crisis on If that's what a human being is supposed to look like, and here's what I look like, this is bad news. Well, the Pharisees have a famous response to this, and if you haven't tried this, I suspect you may. I certainly have tried it and failed. Try harder. (laughs) We've got to do better. More laws, more fasting, more personal discipline in the attempt to get to the place where we've closed the gap. It's a worthy goal, but one we cannot fully achieve. We can't get from here to there. 
You look at Jesus, you look at yourself, even on a really good day, even for your five, mess, five best minutes on a really good day, there's still a big gap. We're so preoccupied with ourselves and our reputation. We're caught up in the sins of the world. We've got the problem of greed going on, and maybe lust, and maybe anger, and you list it out. A gulf between what we're supposed to be and what we are. The Pharisees try to close the gap in their own strength by doing what God called them to. It's a great goal, but you can't do it. There's a second approach that's very popular, and probably I think the example really would apply to many people in the secular mind. It cannot be that we're supposed to be there when we're here. Get the standards down. A bit below where we are. At least a bit below where most of us are. We don't mind having a few people condemned, we understand that. We can give you a few names and addresses. They deserve it. But this is what's going on in our secular culture. It happens in every pagan culture. You get the standard down to the point where at least some people are passing. That's plan two. Problem is, we don't have the authority to redefine the standards. God has created us. God has told us how to live. And through Jesus, he's brought the redemption. And he'll bring the judgment. It doesn't matter what we think the standards are. It doesn't change them. The only option, option three, the option that we see Levi, Matthew, recognising is to say, you know what, the standard really is there. I really am here. I have no way of closing that gap myself. All I can do is throw myself on God's mercy. And the striking thing about all this is Jesus saying to Levi, follow me. That's what he says to us. I know you're there, and I know you're supposed to be there, and I'm walking to the cross to die for you, to clear the difference. It's forgiveness that he offers. It's new life through his Holy Spirit that we share together in the life of the church. That's what he's offering. But you've got to get to the point of acknowledging, you know, I'm a sinner who needs a saviour. I'm a sick man or a sick woman who needs the heavenly physician. I need a new heart. I need a new mind. In the end, I will need a new resurrection body. That's major surgery by any calculation. We need a lot of help. And in many ways, the advantage that Levi has over these Pharisees, he knew he needed help, and so did everybody else. Tax collectors sinned publicly. Many of us do our sinning more privately. Everybody knew this man was a sinner, including himself. But at least he knew he was in trouble and he knew he needed help. And when Jesus said, follow me, he said, yes, that's what I need. This man can fix me, heal my broken heart, make me the man I'm supposed to be. We are all sinners who need a saviour. We are all sick and need the physician. That's the message of this text. So I want us to hear it for our own selves. I mean, we know where we stand, or at least perhaps the Spirit of God is helping us to see that right now. Because maybe you identify right up front with this Matthew. You know what? I'm a greedy man. I'm a greedy woman. My life revolves around making money. It doesn't really revolve around God. And I say I'm doing it for my family and friends, but really I'm just doing it for me. My security is not in God, it's in my money. That's the diagnosis, friends. You're suffering from the sickness called greed. Very popular these days. In fact, we live in a society that says greed is good and the exploitation of other people to your advantage is clever. No. (laughs) 
Those are the wrong answers from the Christian perspective. Greed is sin. And exploiting other people for your advantage is also sin. But there is a saviour who can forgive that sin too. So I want us to hear this text and firstly ask ourselves, do we recognise ourselves as someone who needs that call? Follow me. Maybe for the first time, or maybe you need to hear it again. Maybe you've got off track. You've fallen back into whatever it might be you're tempted to, whether it's something to do with money or sex or power, or whatever it might be. There's so many temptations out there for us. And we're in a society that increasingly celebrates these things rather than warns us against them. Or it may be you're if you're like more in the other camp with the Pharisees. You're thinking, well, I think I'm all right. I don't think I really need Jesus. I don't really need his forgiveness because my life's pretty well together. And I don't really need his healing because I'm in pretty good shape. You know what? Jesus loves both of these groups of people. And of course anybody else he perhaps doesn't fit in either. He's come to bring his lost children home. And whether we're in some sinful crisis and we're just longing for Jesus to set us free or whether we're thinking we're doing absolutely fine or if we're anywhere in between, Jesus is here for us today. The heavenly physician is walking in our midst now through his word, through his spirit, to make our hearts new. So in a moment, I'm going to give us a chance, just again, to open our hearts up to him and say, come, do the work. <laughs> do the work. I can't fix myself. I know I need your help. Continue the good work that you have begun. Well, start work on me today. Why not? That is the nature of our saviour. He is the heavenly physician who's come to heal us up and make us the people he created us to be. Full of joy, full of peace, overflowing with love and a sign of hope in a world that desperately needs all of these things. So let's bow our heads before him and put ourselves in the hands of our heavenly physician. Heavenly Father, we just give you great thanks for sending Jesus to come into our world in all its need and brokenness. We pray that you would indeed forgive us our sin. And if we're not aware of it, Lord, in your grace, help us to see it. Help us to want to be free of it. Help us to acknowledge our need for your help. But Lord, we want to come before you today and ask you would forgive us, especially, Lord, deliver us from the sin of greed. Set our hearts free from these things. Give us that freedom to be generous, to trust in you and not in our own resources. Father God, we thank you for all your good gifts and pray you continue your work in our hearts. Make us new, give us new hearts, new minds, that we may serve you and bring glory to you in the world. We ask it through Christ our Lord. Amen.